Andrew, it's uh, just been up in Hastings, so it's nice to come home after that. And uh, yeah, I, I kind of, it's different now up there, and uh, but uh, so enjoy. And I was telling them about how we're getting on. It's just, uh, I don't know, just a little story. I said, you know, with I was here just helping the trailer at the start, you know, and, um, you know, I don't know his names, but a person who was pulling the trailer, a couple of guys unloading the trailer, a person doing PR. I was talking to 18 months ago, they weren't part of us at the church. And today, you know, they feel kind of like close friends of mine, you know. And it's just amazing what God has done amongst us over the time uh, that we've been going the last 18 months. So I'm really excited about that. And uh, so I express our thanks to Hastings, but also tell them that as, you know, we move forward into all the adventures God has for us as one church, that we'll be partnering with them for the future and uh, for new venues and for all that God has in store for us. Why don't we just, let's just pray as we, uh, as we come to uh, think about God's word together. Father God, thank you for your presence here. Um, thank you, Lord, for our worship. Thank you that we get to praise you, King of kings and Lord of lords. Lift your name high. Thank you that we come to you, Lord, Lord, and you want to speak to us. You want to uh, just tell us about your love for us, Lord God. Lord, you want to change us to be more like Jesus. And I pray, even as we go through what we, uh, the talk today, sermon today, Lord God, Lord, won't you work in our hearts, Lord God. Lord, we say we're open to you. Won't you kind of plow up the hardness of our hearts where they get hard, Lord God. Lord, we want to be good soil, Lord, on which your word takes root and brings forth fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's interesting that uh, when Andrew was um, closing the worship, he talked about God's delight in us. And really, that is my title for you, for, for you for today. God's delight in you. Not her over there, not the clever one, not that leader person who stands out the front. God's delight in you. Just take a couple of minutes just to think about that. God delights over you. It's what the word says. It's what the truth of the word says. We need to know it. We need to take it into our heart. God delights in you, child of God. He delights. He's thrilled in you. It comes out of his love for you. you some of you will remember those bumper stickers of the 70s, wasn't it? Jesus loves you. I couldn't really get on with them in the 70s, but I suppose 50 years later, God teaches you something, and I think, actually... That is the heart of the gospel, that Jesus loves me. That really, that's all of the gospel, actually, that Jesus loves me. It's the kind of essence of all that we are, that Jesus loves us. And out of that comes God's delight in us. As we have turned from sinful ways, as we've put faith in him, it's the simple message that is rooted in God's love for us, that God delights in us. Delights in each one of you. Absolutely doesn't look and say, oh, I made a mistake. I chose the right, wrong one there. If I'd chosen that other one, I would have had others. No. He chose you. He delights in you. But I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with my illness. My job is dragging me down. I don't feel I'm doing much for God. This is not absolutely anything to do with the role you play or the success, or what you're achieving. 
actually it's about your identity. God says you are the beloved child and delight is in you. Just hear it. Just enjoy it. We live in a fallen, broken world where there's sin, there's sickness, there's all sorts of struggles. But God says in the midst of it all, know that you're my child. You can find peace. You can find rest for your soul. That's one of the privileges of my role is that I kind of get a little bit into people's lives sometimes, usually when they're struggling or when big life events happen. And uh, I was just made a sort of pastoral visit just uh, a couple of weeks ago, and um, dear lady, and um, a really struggling with just herself and who she is. And uh, we just were sort of sat in her front room and played a bit, broke bread and wine, and one thing and another. But actually, you know, just as we were chatting, you know, she was sort of pulling out her Bible with all these little stickers in it. Yeah, and this is what I was reading yesterday. And actually, this is what God is saying to me today. No, and this is my prayer box. Look, I put in here all the prayers. And actually, look, these are the ones that God has written. And this dear lady, you know, in the midst of struggles, in the midst of trying to find a way through, knowing who she was in God, getting close to God each day, drawing on him. It's just such a beautiful thing for me to see. And I'm sure it's a beautiful thing for God to see. God delighting in her and her delighting in God, in the even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. So actually we, today we're going to be looking at Zephaniah and, you know, kind of this whole theme of God delighting in you is something that I believe comes very strongly through Zephaniah. And so it's something that, you know, we can sort of earth into ourselves today as we go through that. Zephaniah, um, well, Andrew will uh, tell me off, but, you know, when they said Zephaniah, I thought, do you mean Zechariah? No, no, there is a book called Zephaniah. You can find it here between Habakkuk and Hosea. And I think in my Bible, there's only about two pages. You know, it's sort of three chapters sort of squeezed in there, not a book that I kind of constantly refer to. Easy to overlook. Um, don't hear many children, do you, called Zephaniah? I guess there are some, and you'll probably find one to prove me wrong. But, um, you know, it's not the most... Ex- um, obvious of things. But actually, as I've spent time over the last few weeks looking at Zephaniah, it's, it's a beautiful book that does show God's heart of love for his people, the extent that he was prepared to go to for his people, to bring them into relationship, to bring them to worship him. When I think about relationship with God, one of my favorite pictures, and I come back to it often, is Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the day. I'm a simple guy, but to me that is just such a beautiful picture of what relationship with God is all about. I absolutely am one of those guys who say, you know, what are you thinking about? Oh, I'm not thinking about anything, actually, you know. But just that knowing that we're with God, walking with him in the cool of the day, that's the relationship I aspire to. That's the relationship that God wants and that I want to enjoy with him. That's the relationship that actually God opens up for all of us. And although Adam and Eve sinned as though that was broken, God's heart has always been to restore men and women to himself, to have a people for himself. And so uh, a little bit later in Genesis, we heard how he called Abraham to be the father of a nation that would follow God's laws and would live in relationship with him. 
his heart for the people, for himself. And then the story of the Old Testament, as many of you know, will be of people, God calling the people to himself and then them going off, doing their own thing, falling away from God. I read through uh, Kings just a few months ago and I did a, got a chapter a day, so you got a king each day. It was really depressing, to be honest, you know. King after king after king, failing to follow God's ways. You know, going after other gods, choosing hundreds of wives from here, there, and everywhere, disobeying God time after time after time. But then you get a good one. You get one king who actually said, no, I'm going to restore. I'm going to restore the worship of God. I'm going to raise up the altar again. We're going to pull down all these false gods. You get those little heartaches, but there it is. Maybe he has a son. Maybe he carries on for a little bit. And then slowly it gets worse again. And then much worse again. And you go on for a few more chapters of bad after bad after bad. Waiting for a good one to come along. I just think how patient, how patient God is. How persistent he is with his people to draw a people back to himself. To have for himself a people. God's amazing heart for his people. Even when they were in rebellion and denial, just to have a people for himself. And so he speaks into various situations. And Zephaniah, as one of the minor prophets, comes and speaks in, in the reign of Josiah. Josiah was the 16th king of Judah. He reigned from 640 to 609 BC. We have to get this going backwards. Don't we use BCs? But anyway, 31 years he reigned from. And we read about Josiah. In 2 Kings 23 and 24, and also in 2 Chronicles 34, where it says, it says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. God must have been pleased, doesn't he? A good one at last. He broke down the altars to false gods. He repaired the house of God, the temple. He restored God's laws. It's actually in Josiah's reign that Zephaniah is speaking. It must have been quite early in Josiah's reign, I think, because although Josiah was doing these things, he was following God. Actually, at the time that Zephaniah speaks, there's still a lot of Baal worship going on. The people were still being quite disobedient. And so actually, Zephaniah comes to speak judgment in at this time. Just maybe look at that timeline slide, Jade, just to see where... We're writing, so we're with Zephaniah. So you remember, Alid presented to us Hosea last week, talking about the wife of Horden, raising children of Horden. You remember all that stuff about the, the picture from God of what it was like when the people were turning from away from him. If you look above the line, you'll see that 722, Israel, the northern kingdom, had fallen to the Assyrians. And so we're after that time, and this is a word that comes specifically to the people of Judah. It's written as a warning, I think, probably, and sort of alongside the reforms that Josiah was introducing to cause the people to turn back to God. And Zephaniah talked a lot about the judgment that was coming from God, the judgment that was the right uh, res response to their sinfulness before God. He called it the day of the Lord, a term that is used on various occasions through the Bible for day when God would punish sin and disobedience. Justice would prevail, but a remnant of the faithful would be saved. This is 
horrible day that was coming. And I'll read from chapter 1 and verses 2 to 6. We'll have a few verses talking about that day of the Lord. God says, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal, Baal, the false god they were worshipping, and the name of the idolatrous priests, along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs of the host of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord, and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. This was the just response to actually their disobedience to God, to be utterly swept away. Judgment was coming. Judgment was coming for Judah, but also for Judah's enemies who'd opposed the people of God. Maybe just have the, the map up for a moment, Dave. Oh, shows better here than in Hastings. Um, for the kingdom of Israel, the blue one in the uh, upper part there. They have been conquered. They've been uh, taken into exile at this place, overcome. So actually, um, Zephaniah is talking to the kingdom of Judah, the one below that. But around them, you see the Philistine states, the kingdom of Edom, the other states, all of which have been opposing uh, the people of God. And actually, therefore, God speaks judgment against them. As we look through Zephaniah, we read, Gaza shall be deserted, a bit on the coast. Ashkelon shall become a desolation. Ashdod's people shall be driven out at noon. Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to the Cherethites. The Philistines will be destroyed. Moab shall become like Sodom. The Ammonites like Gomorrah. Cushites, that's the people in Ethiopia, slain by the sword. This was a hellscape judgment coming upon those who had opposed God and opposed his people. Judgment too for Jerusalem, the key city of Judah. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, Woe to her who is rebellious and defiant, the oppressing city. God says, because they turned away, would not accept his correction and turn back to him. So judgment was coming upon them. And there's a message really as it comes out of God's justice and his judgment as we've seen previously in the Minor Prophets, God is a holy God. He will not, he cannot tolerate sin, either in a nation or in his people's lives. I wonder there is always a call to repent and turn to God. But if we don't take heed of that warning, the warning is that judgment will come. And even for us today, if we're deliberately living in disobedience to God, be careful. But out of that judgment, out of that justice, God offers repentance and restoration to those who turn to him. Salvation, restoration is possible. And we read about that in Zephaniah and how God offered that. So chapter 3, verse 9, talks about God initiating a turning 
to him. It says he changed the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them might call upon the name of the Lord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering to God. In the face of the judgment, there is a coming back to God of worshippers from the far, uh, far regions. I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, those who are bowed down the knee to God, but I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, those who are left in Israel. They shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall they be found in their mouth deceitful tongues. A people for God. God always has the power to, cr- to bring back to himself a people, a people for himself that he will have relationship with. And so out of that, coming back to God, we read in Zephaniah chapter 3, of the rejoicing together that happens. It's a beautiful song that is prophetically sung over God's people as they're restored to him. Zephaniah three fourteen, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. Those judgments that we read again about. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. What promises? On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. It's amazing, isn't it? See that total restoration that God God offers. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. Knowing this, knowing this complete forgiveness leads then to true worship of God. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart. God is in your midst. Praise God. One who will save. One who deals with him. It's so beautiful, isn't it? As that relationship is restored, to hear God's rejoicing over his people described. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. God's delight in his people as they repent and turn back to him. And, you know, that's still the principle that applies to us now, living in New Testament times after Jesus. It's the delight God has over us as we turn to him. It's amazing, isn't it? God knew the only way to deal with sin was the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. That's the extent of his love for you. That he gave his son, that you might know relationship with him, that he might you might come to him, that he would delight over you as you confess your sins, as you repent, as you turn to God. Relationship is restored, but only at the cost of Jesus, the cost that God was willing to bear, that you might have life. 
God then gives us individually is Holy Spirit to guide us, to empower us. It's amazing, isn't it? Actually, all of the Old Testament sacrifices were actually prefiguring this time. Jesus offering himself as the sacrificial lamb for our sin. And it's that love, that love that God showed as he gave his son that reaches out to us. God makes a way. His mercy triumphs over judgment. Sin is defeated. Life is restored. God delights in you. Maybe just to say you might never turn to God and put your trust and faith in him. And even as we've learned from the prophecy that Zephaniah brought, there is always that opportunity to turn to God, to come back to him, say, I'm sorry for living away from you, to be restored. And actually, that's the relationship that God wants to call us all into, even today. And if you've not done that, there's the opportunity, even as we, we worship after I finish speaking, to actually say, no, I want to put my trust in you, Lord Jesus. But just as we come to an end now, just want to draw out just uh, two or three points that I hope will be helpful for us. Didn't break the screen, don't worry. Um, that uh, will be helpful for us as we look to apply this as we t uh, into our situation. We've just heard God delights over us. God delights in you. Often I think the lies of the devil will come and tell us we're not worth anything. We're useless. What have you got to offer? But the truth God says is, I delight in you. We need to take hold of truths like that. We need to apply them into our life. We need to choose to believe that what God says is true. It's easy to go down that route of believing lies. We need to reject that and just say no. As we come to God, we know we're chosen. We're accepted. We're called by him. It's not about what I feel. Sometimes I don't feel like much like a child of God. Actually, it's about identity, who we are in God, who he has made us to be, beloved sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And just today even, let's hear it afresh and choose to believe it. You're loved. You're called. There's a purpose. Chosen accepted that sacrifice of Jesus he says you're significant he delights in you he rejoices over you don't let anything rob you of this identity stuff Romans 8 says the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God there's a work of God helping us to know it on the inside, you remember Angela Kem when she was in here. She talked about knowing it in our knower. Well, I don't know quite what it meant, but somehow it just meant knowing it in here. That there is that sense within us as the spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are children of the living God. Don't let anything rob you of that. Whether it's persistent sin, whether it's neglecting your relationship with God, walking guilt and self-doubt rob you of that knowledge of who you are. No, we are children of the living God. You remember we sang that song the other uh, week, I am a child of God. What a powerful declaration it is. I am 
a child of God, lived and loved, accepted by him. Now, it's not always easy, but choosing to believe is key. Yes, it's of faith. And knowing who we are in God, knowing that God our Father is for us, there's no fear. No fear of judgment. God's justice has been satisfied through Jesus. He is safe. He's down with his arms, whatever the circumstances. What will tomorrow bring? Will I get ill? Will I have enough money? Will I die suddenly? All sorts of fears that we can have, but whatever they are, bring it to God and lay them at his feet. He's with us in every circumstance. He's for you, beloved child. He won't let your foot slip. He's the one who will take away all fear. If you choose to believe in him, perfect love casts out fear, John chapter 4 tells us. Maybe even for you, there's a need for you just to confess to that. Let fear come in. Let it reign in certain areas of my life. Lord, I want to choose to believe what you say about me. I want to choose to believe that you, the powerful King of Kings, are for me in every situation. Lord, that every step of my life has been planned out before it ever came. I reject fear in my life. And just as we've seen in those verses in chapter 3, knowing God's delight in us releases worship and joy as we respond to God. Verse 14 in chapter 3, rejoice and exult with all your heart. Just a little challenge, I wonder, have you been half-hearted in your devotion to Jesus? Knowing God's delight in us, knowing that what he has saved us for, should release praise and worship in us. We should be delighting ourselves in God day by day, moment by moment. John Piper, uh, he's an American theologian, but a very anointed man, says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And I just wondered, maybe for you, do you have some gripes? some moans against God. Maybe if you'd done it this way or why don't they understand that or whatever else. Actually, those are gripes, those moans. We need to find that place of satisfaction in God. The if onlys, you know, if only I'd had that, if only that had happened, if only they'd listened to me. No, actually there's a place of satisfaction and rest in God as we deal with those if onlys, those things that nag away at us. He is the one who only wants good for you, to bless you, to give you hope, to give you a future. All his ways are perfect. To remind you what John Piper said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And perhaps for you, there's the need to say, Jesus, I'm going to choose to give you the best my praise and my worship in all I do. I'm sorry, when my worship has been begrudging or half-hearted, I want to give you the best. You remember David in the Psalms, dance before God with all his might. What about you? Perhaps it's time to get out your linen ephod. I think that's what he was wearing at the time, but you get the idea. 
actually to give God the fullness of our worship and our praise and exalting response to him. We've got a few minutes now, so we're going to ask the band to come up. And I just felt that, you know, this is a song about God worshipping and rejoicing over us. God delighting over us and us in response delighting back to him. We've raised a few challenges, a few areas that maybe God has been highlighting to you. But as the band lead us, as we return and worship together again, just a chance to do business with God. Maybe you'll be saying, actually, God, yeah, I recognize that you have made me just the person you have, that you delight over me. I want to accept. I want to accept all that you've made me to be with. Lord, I want to deal with fear in my life. Lord, I've been ruled by fear. I've been governed by fear. Lord, I place it in your hands. I know that you are for me. And maybe you've been hard-hearted. Lord, I want to give you all of my praise. To the one who gave everything for me. To the one who gave his son that I might escape that judgment, that horrible description that we read earlier. Lord God, you deserve the best of my praise and my worship. Amen.